Okay, ready? Take what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in we are. I want to know something she's done. I think about everyone you need. I'm holding it. Things are rooting real now. I have seen you wanting you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. I always thought, because I love talk shows, is that an audience has to feel like they want to hang out with you, mm-hmm. but they also got to feel like you would want to hang out with them. Mm, interesting that they want you to like hypothetically like them. Yeah. Like you You're can't their be like friend in their head. That you want to be their friend. That they want to be your friend, but that you will also want to be their friend. So you can't be above, above them. them. I've seen it was a talk show I watched, I remember one time and I was like, okay, no we we know that you have a lot of money. And mm-hmm. I remember the the, the set was like a two staircases mm. going up and this it was it was in the shape of her home and I'm looking at this going this is too hoity-toity for me mm. I like you but I don't think you would like me Sherry Shepard is a comedian actor mother author amazing all-around person I've known her forever she's got a show a daytime talk show called Sherry. She's about to go on tour with the amazing Kim Whitley. On May 4th, she'll be at City Winery in New York City. To see the rest of the dates, go to SherryShowTV.com. This is an amazing conversation because we talk about comedy. We talk about men and women. We talk about parenting. We talk about TV. Kind of get into a little bit of everything. She really let her heart show and her comedy show in this is such a joy and an honor to talk to the wonderful, the one and only Sherry Shepard on Touré Show. Sherry. Yeah. I'm looking at your career, your resume, and I'm like, this right now, doing right. Sherry, your talk show. Yeah. It looks like this is like the highlight of your career. Like probably the best check, the most freedom, the most control, the best opportunity for you to be like, this is who I really am. I say whatever I want, right? I shape the, right? Like, is this like the career highlight? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. No, it's not. It's like, Today, I had a meeting with someone to pitch a drama uh-huh. uh, for someone whose life is absolutely incredible and fascinating. And we I pitched it, and that was like a big highlight of going, okay, I'm going to produce this hour drama for this woman, and now we have to find an actor because it's taken so long for me to get it. I've kind of aged myself out of doing the role. So look, going, okay, now who can we cast and who can we? And so sitting there and list it with the meeting with the writer and me as a producer and, and what our vision was, I was like, okay, this is great. And then being on stage last weekend, 
doing 30 minutes. And I was like, this is it. So is comedy the thing you love most? I love comedy. More yeah. than acting. But I love comedy in any form. Yeah. So even if I'm an actress, even if I'm doing a comedy, you know, uh, like a sitcom or a movie that has some humor in it, I just love making people feel better. Why do you love making people laugh? Because I think it's so much going on. I think people need to let go. I think they need to release. I think it's just our bodies are not designed or equipped to take on all of the stress and the pressure. And you have to have a release. And I've learned that from being young and, you know, going through stuff with my family. And, you know, and so if I can be silly to make you release, it just makes it fulfills me. Wait, were you a funny kid? Yeah, everybody in my family's funny. I just make really great money at it. (laughs) They they work regular jobs. Were were you the funniest one in your house growing up? Absolutely not. My cousins. You're the oldest of three. I'm the oldest of three. Yeah. Yeah, but I have cousins who are way funnier than me and relatives, but I'm the one that pursued it. Yeah. Because when my family gets together, we're loud and... Very, very funny. But there's a there's a craft to it. There's a yeah. natural ability to make people laugh that a lot of people have. But then there's a whole craft that you've overlaid onto it that takes you to a whole another level. Absolutely. And so it, but that takes a, that's a lot of hard work. Yeah. And it's a lot of getting past fear. And it's a lot of knowing who you are. It's, it's just it's work. And so a lot of people don't want to do that because I always tell people to craft of funny is very serious to me. Yeah. I'm very serious about being funny. Yeah. So if I can get on stage and if it looks easy to the optical eye, then that means that I've been working hard. Oh, wait, tell me about the fear. Cause I know oh. if I set out to make you laugh, uh-huh. you're going to tell me right away you did it or you didn't. And if I'd say a little punchline and you don't laugh or it's, Sprinkling of oh, like, right? If I if I worst. set out to say something smart, you yeah. you don't say anything, so I'm good, right? Uh-huh. When I get to the end of the, right, you, I'm good, right? And you might think about it, and a week later, like, oh wow, that actually did make sense or whatever. But like, if I don't make you laugh, right? The punch, like, I failed. Like, oh no. Oh, that's it's the most. You know, the thing about it is like, you can have a singer who, like Whitney Houston, God rest her soul, could come out and sing, "I will always love you." Yeah. Every single time make you cry. Oh my God. The hundredth time you hear it. Yes. And it's still, it affects you. But as a comic, it's like, it's different because you're putting yourself out there, your material, and that material is you. So you're going like my material, like me. And if they don't, and you get the immediate response, it is the worst feeling in the world. It's heartbreaking. It's devastating. It's crushing. And you can have the whole Art, uh, arena or theater or room laughing. And it's that one person oh. who's sitting like this oh. that you keep going back to. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. It's like, you know, bring it out from inside and bring it out to the out, into the external where I can see it. But you're a people pleaser. So you yes. see the one who's not laughing and you're like, oh, I got to I got to fix this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can see it right away. Now, I have learned to not overthink it. Um, and go, I, and I've learned to say, but Sherry, 99% is laughing. So go with that. Um, because I've really worked on overthinking stuff over the past like year <laughs> since I started my show, just stop, stop overthinking everything. Well, I want to talk about the craft of comedy yeah. and, and just into that notion. I feel like there's generally two sorts of comics. I would think about like 
a phone book comic who like can read the phone book and just their vibe is so yes. funny that they'll make it funny, right? Yes. And then there's like the material folks like Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld who like micromanage every pause and every word. And and like, if I get this material exactly right, I'm going to kill you, right? But like, there, and then the other side. So which, I, I have an idea, but which are you? I'm not the one where I got to get the material exactly right. Yeah. But the material is important to me. Of course. But I, I wish I could be like Chris Rock, where I just have everything written and it's, you know, it's, and I've formed it and shaped it. Or like Joan Rivers, who had all of her stuff cataloged on index cards. I got, it's, it's, it's jumbled notes in my phone. It's on napkins with stains on them. It's in between me screaming at Jeffrey. And then I, yes, but for the most part, I have to get on stage and talk it out. It just comes from within. And then I will, you know, do it again. I go, Oh, that worked. Let me try it again. And some stuff I'll do one or two times. And I'm like, it's hard for me to recreate that particular joke. It was for that moment right when I was there. I mean, I got a whole sitcom called Sherry from the fact that my husband um, cheated on me. And that was just like, I never wrote anything down. I just got on stage in my pain and worked it out and worked it out. And I remember Jamie Foxx came up and he was like, that was brilliant. And I said, because it's real. Yeah. Ninja, it's real. (laughs) You can say nigga. (laughs) (laughs) But you to me have a funny vibe. Yeah. Like, like you could just come out and say hi, and I'm already like smiling right. and laughing because like the funny sort of it's, exudes. It just, I, I think naturally I know that I'm funny. So whatever you give me, I can make it funny. So I think I'm probably, I don't know if I could read the phone book and be funny. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. I've never tried you, it. I bet you could. <laughs> I think you could. So, so wait, so tell me a little about the craft of comedy. Like, like, cause I know you guys, there's a deep science to it. And you could break it all the wow. way down. I mean, I'm just, in, in my humble opinion, I mean, I, I watch so many people I came up with, with Jamie and Chris Tucker and D.O. Hughley Ooh. and, you know, watch an earthquake. We ran together, Guy and Joe Torrey. So that was my, my stomping ground. And, you know, to watch people, how they deal with fear. I have a lot of fear before I go up. Fear, but, you know, the way you combat fear is repetition, you have to get on stage. You have to get on Three, stage. Three, four times a night. Three, four times a night. I literally was going up and before I got the talk show, maybe 12 times a week. Wow. So when you go up that much in a comedy club, the, the fear kind of goes down as the confidence rises. Sure. And no matter what, I remember I could walk in a club and hear, and give it up for Sherry Shepard. And I go right on that stage and no good and well, because I've done this material so much that I know it works no matter what. What are you afraid of? The audience not laughing. I'm afraid that they're, they're judging me, that basically that the material won't work. I am, you know, you, your mind goes to the worst case scenario. What if they just, what if everybody starts heckling me? What if, you know, if I'm headlining a club, what if I throw this party and nobody shows up? It's so much that you go through. You know, I remember I was on stage and they were like, Cat Williams is here watching, but I'd already known. I'm freaking, I'm going to knock this out the park. You know, which I did, but that's through repetition. Now, since I've done my show, I haven't gone up as much. So when I went up this weekend at the Laugh Factory, it was all fear because my confidence level was not there. But it only took 63 seconds 
to bring it back. <laughs> 63 now seconds. 62. Then, then you're then you're ready. Then I'm ready. Because you've come out, you made them laugh, and now you're like, okay, I'm good. It's a muscle. And it was just like massaging that muscle and getting back on that stage and going, because I couldn't figure out where my groove was. This was a different audience than New York. I New love York, New York. It, it, New York stand-up stand club is totally different than L.A. I love the energy of New York. It's like grittier. It's like you got to come with it. But also L.A. as well. But L.A., you know, they've seen they've seen the top comics. Sure. You know, but but New York is something that's like you can't you can't bullshit a New York audience. You got to come. I followed Gina Yashere a few Ooh. years ago and I was killing in L.A. And she went up and she killed. And I was like, I got this bombed like you wouldn't believe. And I had to sit down and go, how do I reconfigure this? This audience is not just having me getting up there talking so I had to really like, I, it was the same material, but I was really present is what I was. Follow Gina again for another show and killed. So so if you bomb, yeah. you're going to think about it. You're going to listen to it back? I listen to it. But well, not after I bomb. I got to wait like a day or two. <laughs> I got to cry. I got to, you know, like I got to call my shrink. I got to, it's, it's a lot. Oh my God. I got to rethink my life. And no choices. matter how good you are, <laughs> you might bomb at any time. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you, if you are not nervous before you go up on that stage, That's a problem. then I'm a little scared for you. That's a problem. Or you're not present, but yeah, I just, I, I have to, um, just sit and figure out and, and just rethink. I never blame it on the audience. You know, I just go, Sherry, what do you need to do? How do you adjust it? How do you fine tune it? But if you made him laugh last night and tonight it didn't, and it's the same jokes and it's the same vibe, how is it not the voice of going like, eh, they just didn't get me? It's because them. I, for me, I'm going, but something was different about this audience. Either you took them for granted because it worked the night before but something is different that you didn't catch on to. Now, the one thing that I do know is I remember watching Chris Rock bomb and being like, oh, my gosh, like this, you bomb. How are you going to go do this again? And he's like, this is for a special. By the time you see this on TV, it's going to kill because I'm going to do it over and over and over. And that's where he trims the fat. Like I saw his special that he just did. Now I saw him at a couple different places and he had trimmed a lot of the fat from the material. And went, this is what works. This is what, there was some stuff I was like, you should have left it in because it would have gave context to the joke. Sure. When you said such and such and such and such. But you just, it, you know, it, repetition. That's for anything. That's for life. If you can repetition and, and, and really microscoping it. I, I, I have a close friend who's close with uh, Chris. Yeah. And there were a couple of times when we saw him at the cellar and then he goes to the table, right? Upstairs. Yeah. And he sits there, maybe Neil Brandon is there mm -hmm. or whoever else is around. And it's not structured, but it's like, yo, that was really funny. You should have tagged it with this. Yes. Or maybe you should have left that one out. And now they're talking to him about, yeah, you're right. Like yep. that one didn't get right. And so it becomes a little of a hive mind of the people you like and trust are like giving Absolutely. you notes. Yeah. When people I don't know come up to me and go, you should do. I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> And then I have to pray to God for forgiveness because I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm not a bitch, but I don't welcome your material. But you will never see that. But God goes, I know your heart share. You was a bitch. Um, but people that I love, like Yamanika, mm -hmm. who is like my ace coon boom, Michelle Bateau, uh, who are out here in New York, Jackie Fabulous. If I go up at the cellar, I go up there and I sit with Esty at the table and they'll come and say, you know, if you change this around or if you say this, I completely trust those ladies. Right. 
because they know what they're doing. And there's some new comics that I love who came and gave me that I've seen at the cellar. And they, they can I, can I, can I, you know, give you kind of a little bit of a different uh, a pitch? And I'll listen. And sometimes I like, and sometimes I go, I don't know who you are. I don't even, why are you at this table? You have not earned the right. You've not earned the right. What do you know? But I don't think folks understand because you're 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 doing a tour with Kim Whitley. Yes. Right. Where there's at least 25, 30 minutes of you doing stand up. That's right? right. So you've worked for what? Six months to build six months that? and building. And even us being on stage together, we are on stage together talking improv. We're improving. But that is still comedy. That of is course. still us. It's still a craft that we have to, it's a groove that we've had to learn to get into because when she lobs something at me, I got to, I do it. And sometimes I lob it to her and she, Kim is brilliant at thinking on the top of her feet. She will come up with stuff that just, uh, I can't believe she made it up in that moment. Building a 30 minute stand up special that you can take around right. the country takes a lot of time. You got to be in clubs. <laughs> Also, she's doing a daily talk show, yeah. which takes over your life. So that's two full-time jobs, plus she's a mom. Yes. That's a lot. It's a lot, but I love it so much. I get on that stage. I remember being with David A. Arnold, yes. who's like, I've known I've oh. knew him for so long. And I remember he said, we're like, we can't stay off the stage. Mm. It's like, it's something that pulls you. You just have you to be on stage. I love the stage. And I remember it. I don't have to throw her under the bus. My, my best friend, Niecy Nash, we, I was, when I was in LA, I was supposed to go hang out with her. And I said, I can't, I got to go. I got four shows. I got the, I got to do the comedy store, uh, two shows. And I got to do the laugh factory. And she said, but that's a choice. Like you don't have to. And I go, yeah, I do. Like I have to get on stage anywhere I go. I got to get on the Are stage. Are you going up tonight? Tonight. Am I going up? No, I wasn't planning on going up because I just got back from L.A. Okay. And I don't feel bad because I went up like four times in L.A. But if I get to a point where I'm like, I haven't been up, I got to go. But I'm doing like the city winery in May 4th. So I know. So I do have to get up to pr get prepared for that show. Yeah. Yeah. But you you need an audience. You live I have for to have an audience. You live for applause and laughter. On the stage. I do. Yep. Do you bring that into your regular life? I bring it into the talk show. I think that's why the talk show does so well because it's like a, it's like a comedy club to me. Mm. Like the comics say you, and I, when I complain to comics and go, I haven't been on stage, they go, you're doing stand up every time you come out, you know, and sit in that chair. And I go, yeah, you know what I am because I live for the audience. That's probably the biggest complaint I get from the network is who, who are you looking at? You're not looking at America. It's because I'm looking at the audience in front of me, that live crowd. Yeah. And I tend to look at them instead of in the camera lens, because that's how I get my, that's how I know if a joke is working. That you see the faces. I can see the masks were killing me. I couldn't <laughs> even take it with the mask, but I could see from their bodies going back and forth. Yes. If the joke was working. No, when you really kill me as a comic, I like lose physical control of my body. Right? Yeah, and that's and like, how I can tell, like that body, the body movement. But it's so much nicer with people not having a mask on because I can see how it's affecting. And if I see somebody that's looking bored, I go, okay, I got to change it up a little bit. But so, so when I was doing a show with three other people, yeah, and I was like, I want my own show, of course, right? Everyone said that, right? Uh huh. And the boss was like, you know, maybe that will happen, maybe it won't. But right. just so you know, when it's your name on the door, 
there's a lot of pressure. Yes, it is. Because it all is on you. They are tuning in to say they like you or they don't care for you. (laughs) Right. And like, it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure, right? It's it, you know, it's so funny. You pray for a dream, but you don't know exactly what the dream, the realization of the dream entails. And I do remember that Oprah, I love how I can say her name so easily. Um, Oprah said to me, you will get the glory and you will also get the bad stuff. They're not going to say, oh, that producer of that show Never. was horrible. Never. You'll get it all. And that's Why so Why did true. Sherry book that guest? Absolutely. Why did Sherry, like, yep. It's all on you. And and I didn't realize that. But it's but it's pressure that I'm ready for. I think that's why it took so long for it to happen. And and it's in the, the tiny things that we see that make you choose, oh, I want to be friends with her. She's fine, but I and I don't want to be friends with her, right? And like all these people, right? Most of your audience is women. Like yes. they they'll love some little thing about you, or they won't like some little right. thing about you. And I'm just don't want to. I just right. You, my mom be like, I just don't like not you, but yeah. I just don't like so and so. And I'm like, Mom, she's great. He's great. Like, but <laughs> I, I just don't care for so and so. I'm like, oh, okay. It's an energy that that they want to be within. I always thought because I love talk shows, is that an audience has to feel like they want to hang out with you, Mm -hmm. but they also got to feel like you would want to hang out with them. Mm, Interesting that they want you to like hypothetically like them. Yeah. Like you can't be like- friend in their head. That you want to be their friend, that they want to be your friend, but that you also want to be their friend. So you can't be above Above them. them. I've seen, it was a talk show I watched, I remember one time and I was like, okay, no, we, we know that you have a lot of money and that you, and and Mm. I remember the, the, the set was like a two staircases Mm. going up and this, it was, it was in the shape of her home. And I'm looking at this going, this is too hoity toity for me. Mm. I like you, but I don't think you would like me. Mm. And so I couldn't, I didn't watch is, it. Is that a daytime thing? Cause the, cause the vibe I get from the nighttime guys going back to Carson yeah. Letterman, I'm like, they seem like uh, I'm on a so, throne right. talking down to you guys. Yeah. But like, I, I think the daytime folks want to seem like the we're in your folks. living room together. Yes. Because you know, it was typically uh, the kids are gone to school. Right. I'm ironing clothes and I'm watching you. I'm drinking my coffee. You're one of my girlfriends. My wine. My wine. Like we would, that's what people tell me all the time. I would love to go. Like you would be so fun to hang out at the bar with, even though I go home and put my flannels on and I'm sitting there. Yeah. But I would love to, I am that kind of person. I'm like, for me, I'm the auntie. I'm the sister. I'm the cousin. I'm the mom. And they see all that in me and there's, or, you know, and I think that people, they know intrinsically Sherry's a, the quote, the air quotes, celebrity or Sherry's, you know, but she's relatable. Yes. Because I sit there and I go, and they know it's very genuine when I I say, I was in jail. It was eight days, but it was a long time. That was, that was. That's a long time. You know, and I've, or, you know, I rode the bus with Jeffrey and we got lost on the bus because I couldn't understand what the, what the driver was saying on the microphone. So I think they go, you're absolutely relatable because you're just like me. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. 
My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. One of the things that, and I wonder if you talk about this with Oprah, that one of the things she did so brilliantly was that she was code switching, right? And she Mm -hmm. was sister girl. And then two seconds later, she would talk and just emote in a way that the white people were like, oh, that's my friend, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like she's selling out, right? And like she had black and white and brown and everybody was like, Oprah's our girl, right? right? So that's part of your challenge. You know, Oprah went through a period where, you know, Black people were really upset with her for for a hot minute, you know? And I think everybody, because you have to find your groove. And she found it. And it was like. But you have to find that. And, I, and I'm finding that, too. But I think that I get so many people of all walks of life who go, I love you. Yeah. You know, and then I get my folks who are just like, you are my cousin. You're yeah. my. So I don't know. I I just how I, I don't know if I I think we all code switch. Yeah. So. Well, the better you are at code switching. Yeah the higher you can get, in, in, at least in entertainment, also right. in politics, whatever. Right. So it's just finding my groove. It's been six and a half months. So just trying to figure out what is working and what. What, what, what is a good interview to you within the context of Sherry? A good interview to me is one where the person that I'm interviewing is just relaxed. Yes. And I, if I can do anything to make them feel good and feel like, okay, we're just going to have fun. I'm the kind of person, that's why I love, there's so many, you know, it's, for me, there's three black women 
who have a talk show. Right. And we all bring something so you different. You and Tamron. And, and Jay Hood. Okay, okay. And we right, right. all Hudson, right, right, bring right, right. something so different. And it's like, if I'm not giving you that, that you'll never get like journalistic. I'm going to ask you the deep uh, questions. Hard. and da, da, da. That's not me. Right. But I'm going to play a game with you and I'm going to ask you some questions that are fun for you where you just feel relaxed. And then there's, you know, you're going to go on Jennifer's show and she's going to hit you with something. And God help, if you know how to sing and she and y'all can harmonize together. We had the same guest one time uh, from a show and we had fun on my show. She left having so much fun and she was like, this has been the most amazing day. But she was putting out an, an out, her CD was coming out, her single. And I mentioned it like you guys buy, buy her single because she's singing. But when she got on Jennifer's couch and Jennifer said to her, can we sing together? She lost her shit. I was like, damn it. I should have sang with her. Damn it. <laughs> and, and, and to watch them harmonize, that was like the highlight of her life because singing was her passion. Yeah. But she also had a lot of fun with me. So, you know, I so I love the fact that there are three different women sitting here that can give you something. So for me, it's going to be fun. Someone wanted to come on my show and she was like, I'm taking out fillers and the things from my cheek and the boom. And I need to talk about it. And I was like, you got to go over to Tamron because <laughs> it's so deep. We're not doing deep. It, it's We're just doing so, fun. It, I just felt like I wouldn't service her yeah. and her story yeah. the way she needed it to be serviced. Yeah. I'm like, if you come out and sit on my couch, we, I'm going to make it light and fun because I know my audience, that's what they're coming for. Yeah. And we'll talk about it for a minute, but we're going to play a game. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have some cards and we're going to play back and forth. We're going to, and I, and I said, I just feel like you would be serviced better to really go deep and those and there's and and taking out fillers and booties and th- you're gonna want to cry. I'm not gonna let you cry. You ain't crying over here. So I think my lucky stars, I go, whew, it's three of us on the air. Aww. And if you and God forbid, if we find out besides your OnlyFans that you wanted to be a singer, oh my gosh. <laughs> Guess what you can do? You can go over and sing. With Jennifer right. and y'all can talk and talk, but she going to give you that microphone and you're going to be like, y'all can harmonize it out. And I was like, thank you, Lord. That's three of us. I feel like I have always known who you were. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't remember when I started to know who you were. Just like, just sure. You've just always been around. But when you were on 30 Rock, in, in my mind, <laughs> I was like. Oh, she's serious. Like, she's smart. She's inventive. She's original. She's like, you know, because I lived for 30 Rock. And you and Queen of Jordan and all that stuff was like, oh, this is different. (laughs) Like, she's not just funny. Like, and that that whole thing was brilliant. Oh, well, then you'd love me on Sex Lives of College Girls. Oh, my God. Oh. Well, I started to watch it, and I felt like, no, this is too young for you, me. You felt like, like the grieving like uncle. I should be watching it. <laughs> Although I watch Euphoria. Oh, God. But I was like, uh, when Sex Lives came out, I was like, can, can I watch this? Is this for kids? <laughs> is, it, is it a uh, 
That's so funny. Well, if you can watch Euphoria, you can watch Sex what, Lives. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Euphoria there, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole but, different thing. It but, is. But talk about working on 30 Rock, because that <gasps> character and that Queen of Jordan, that whole thing is Oh, amazing. my gosh. It was absolutely amazing. That was one of the roles that I didn't have to audition for it. Mm. Tina Fey. Tina wanted you or Tracy wanted you? Tina wanted me. Beautiful. I didn't even know Tracy. I knew Beautiful. of Tracy. Yeah, of course. But I didn't know Tracy, and Tina Fey offered that role to me. And I remember the first time she offered, there was no lines. It was like the first time you saw his wife, they were sitting in a restaurant. And I was like, I ain't got no lines. I don't want to do this. So I said, no. I said, no. And they used somebody else. And then I thought, oh, shoot. I wonder if this is going to, you know, recur. if it's going to come back around. Is uh, it going to recur? Uh. And thank God Tina liked me because she came back around and hired me. And it's it was such an, a wonderful journey of being real, of being over the top yes. with Tracy. Yes. I was scared to death to work with Tracy Morgan. Why? Why? Because he was so out there. Like, and he did. His first line to me, he was like, Sherry Shepard, I'm going to get you pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they wrote that for you. That's what you say to women? <laughs> I'm going to get you pregnant. And it was the scene where my very first time working with Tracy, they said, you guys are on like a, like a staycation and you role play. So you're going to be taking your clothes off and having like wild sex with Tracy. And I was like, um, I go to church <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if I could do that. But when I tell you, it was so much fun working with Tracy Morgan. And they had me back. And then they came up with that whole Queen of Jordan, having to slap Tina Fey and pull her hair. That was hard. And I'm like, you're my boss. And she's like, no, lay it on me. Go for it. Like, go for it. And it just was a joy yeah. doing being Tracy's wife. I loved you on that. <laughs> I loved you and they gave that. me the best lines. Yeah. What was your favorite? Oh my gosh, I don't want nothing, uh, nothing in my size. It was something like when, when I was talking to Alec Baldwin, I had to jump in his arms uh-huh, with, uh-huh. At, with Alec Baldwin. Uh-huh. And I think, uh, you know, when they would have me go ham, you know, because I, I'd have to sit on the couch and just go ham, ham, ham. <laughs> They'd have me do it for 30 minutes. And I was like, if you don't have what you want from me saying ham, you're never going to get it. But they just loved the way I did it. Uh-huh. And so it was just little lines. You know, my single, my single is dropping. Mm-hmm. My single, mm-hmm. my single is dropping. So it was, it was little things like that. And I just had so much fun being on the set. Uh, Tracy was a, a trip every single time. Oh, my God. I was on the set. You could hear him from the parking lot. Right, right, yeah. Coming yeah. in. Yeah. And um, it just was really wild. Yeah. And I feel very honored that I got to be a part I, of it. I mean, I loved even, like, when they started to have his bodyguards, right. but they're very intelligent. Yes. And they're like, how come we got to play bodyguards? Why can't we play doctors? I actually am extremely intelligent. I was like, <laughs> oh, subversive. I love it. The writing was just absolutely beautiful. It's so funny when I do my cameos, you know, yeah. when you have to do personalized videos, people always want me to do like the top lines from Angie Jordan. And I'm always on there. And I go, I made so much money on Cameo just doing (laughs) Angie Jordan's lines. (laughs) My grandmother loves the lines. My partner loves the lines, you know, so. Wow. It's it's just, I'm honored to be a part of that. So wait, can I watch Sex Lives of College Girls? Is it like. Well, I'll give you the episodes I'm in and then you won't feel so bad. Then you'll be like, oh, okay, I'm watching Sherry. You got one eye open and go, oh my gosh. Because there's some shows that are about 
younger folks that you feel like right. it's cool, right? We watched your white people, right? That's Absolutely. college. Like, no problem, right? Absolutely. Like I said, euphoria is deep, yes. right? So I'm like, I'm rolling with y'all, yes, right? I don't know something about like, but I fucked with Harlem. I you like Harlem. Harlem. Harlem is great. Yes, yes. yes I did Where's Harlem. That, uh, that, you know, it's funny. I would watch it. I would watch Harlem and I thought that was such a great show. And then when they called and said, we're offering you this role to play uh, Shaniqua's mother, I was like, oh my gosh. And, it, and, and literally they wrote, I don't know if you saw my particular episode, but I had a very poignant scene with Shaniqua at the end that they just wrote at the last minute. Oh, wow. Because they loved our chemistry together. So it was great, except I didn't read the script until probably the night before I did the show. Okay. And I didn't really know I had like five boys. I came out of my trailer and all of these black men was like, hey, mama, hey, mama. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. Hey, who? <laughs> hey, mama. And I was like, uh, no, I will be dating all of y'all. And then little Rail is playing my son too. Oh, no, I don't know what I did wrong. And I was like, my name is Sherry. Well, Let you, me can, you can learn your lines that fast. Yeah, it's like a muscle. It's I read like, the script last night and I'm ready to go. It was not that so much I'm ready to go. I need time in my trailer. Like, you got to leave me alone when I'm getting my stuff worked out. But I was in the middle of moving to New York. So I just wasn't able to do what I needed to, what I normally need to do, build it up. So I had to build it all up that night before in my hotel room. I had to put Jeffrey out. I didn't even know where he went. I was just like, don't come back for three or four hours. Mama is working. So wait, what do you do in that time? I lay on the floor and close my eyes and I create an entire storyline for myself down to what happened to me when I was five, what happened to me when I was 11, because I think that way you have something to rest on when you don't feel like you have anything, when you feel like you just have one line. I think that people expect that if you're doing drama, they mm -hmm. don't expect that if you're doing comedy. I do it. I just do it because I just like to have a, a fully fleshed out character. Yeah. So for Shaniqua's mother, she was loud and she loved dressing like her daughter. And, but why is she loud like that? Why does she like dressing like her daughter? Why does she, you know, why is she so, you know, uh, uh, she wanted her daughter to be out there. So why, why is she a woman who's very comfortable with her sexuality? There's a reason for that. And I think it, it complements my comedy. So I'm not just coming out there screaming yeah. at my daughter and going, look at what I got on. There's a reason why. Yeah. And I think that when they saw that, then they wrote a very poignant scene at the end where I have to really remind her who you are. You're a part of who I am and I'm living vicariously through you. So you have to go out and make it for your mama. And that is only if I create a fully fleshed out woman. And she's not one dimensional. Yeah. So you're laying on the floor on your back. Yeah. Imagining the entire world of this woman. Yeah. So, and then, and then what happens? And then I just close my eyes. I just go in, you know, and I'll see what, what triggers me. And I kind of stay there for a moment and figure out where is she going? What, what makes her laugh? Why, you know, I give her experiences in my head. Sometimes I so play visualize music. I visualize these experiences that she's had. So oh, it becomes yeah. in your body. Yeah. And it's just like a whole daydream exercise. And then it, I do it for dramas too when I when I do a drama. Oh, of course. Is this yeah. is this a, a, a this isn't method it, or is this a 
I think I probably learned it in one of my acting classes okay. of how to create a character. I'm not going to say Sherry just came up with that. No, of course. So, I, yeah, it definitely in, in acting classes, you wear red, I wear red, you wear red. You know, my I learned it and it worked for me. And it works for me in comedy. It also works for me in stand-up because I also visualize killing on the stage. Oh, really? And I visualize confidence, what that looks like as I come out on the stage. I visualize making con- eye contact and slowing down and owning the silence, you know? So mm. a lot of times it's like, I got to hear laughter, but sometimes silence is very powerful. It's very, very powerful. confident. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, 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 when the comic is letting it be silent, it can create attention in yeah. the audience. And they make me think about um, Chris Rock's tambourine, mm-hmm. which the last 45 minutes wasn't funny, right? but it wasn't meant to be funny. Yeah. Talking about my divorce, I'm basically opening up my heart and showing you my, yes. which he has not really done. No. Right. He don't really talk about his real self. So he's like, yo, I'm messed up right now. Here's a look at it. And it was silent. And mm-hmm. it was compelling. And I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, I haven't laughed in forever. And yeah. keep going. And that takes a lot. That You just got to be fearless to do that. To, to make yourself so vulnerable. not laugh. To let them not laugh. To let them not laugh. To, to, to sit in the silence of it all. That's hard for me because I need laughter. I need to. That's why I go out there. And when I don't get it. It just, I'm just like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? So it's something that I've had to learn that you can own the silence and take them where you want them to go. Yes. I mean, shit, man. I'm definitely afraid of the silence as an interviewer. Yeah. Like if I don't know what to ask when you finish talking. Right. Right. Like I would be stressed and like, and like, we're just looking at each other, not saying anything. And then then what would happen? But it could be a great moment. But, it could be, but I think we're, we we are taught that, you know, on TV or radio, the silence is death. Got to keep going. You got to keep going. Yes. Like, you know, because you don't want them to turn on, turn the channel. Yes. And here, you know, I, I remember being on The View. Si- no, there was no silent. You it was know, like it, five of y'all talking five at once. Of, If you started getting silent, somebody's going to jump in on your time. <laughs> and I think that's probably also because of that. But in stand-up and being on stage when it's just me, then I can be comfortable with the silence. Mm. You know, I can go, I think my evolution from when Sherry started, I was very rapid fire. And then being on The View, I had to, that's probably another complaint I get. Sherry, why you talk so fast on your talk show when you're sitting there? Because I was sitting with four other women. And if I didn't grab my airspace, yeah. I didn't have it. Yeah. That that moment would pass me by and I would not be saying anything. Yeah. So it's like double dutch. And yeah. being in the chair, I got so many comments from viewers going, we love you, but can you breathe? Because I wasn't breathing. Mm. I was doing a, a comedic rant and I was like, I got to get it all out. And once I got these comments, then I was like, wow. Because a, a dear lady said, it's your show. Like, so, and we're just, we are enjoying you. And right. then my best friend, John Murray was like, take your time. And I said, I can't slow down. Like, that's that's uh, not normal for me. So learning how to slow down and talk. It communicates confidence. It communicates confidence. Absolutely. Mm. And doing that on stage mm. as well. Even even now, I'm like, fill the silence. Fill the silence. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, do, do it. Why don't you do it now? Like, I can't do it. It's a, big, it's a big thing that comes up of fill the silence. But even in life, when you're talking to somebody, where they say, where they say, don't 
over talking, mm-hmm. you know, when you have to break up with somebody, you want to go, it's not you, it's me. Can we just be friends? And I love you so much. And really, you know, talk yourself back into being with them. But being silent and saying what you have to say, and it's okay to be silent and letting them talk. Well, that's when you know that you're really connected with somebody. Yep. That we can be quiet together. Be quiet. Yeah. Oh. I learned that in my like year of just dating, saying yes and dating. Just being silent, not being so nervous, being silent and listening. It would be hard, though. I, I haven't been on a date. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I would feel like, you know, I got to entertain her. I got right. to make her laugh. I got to, you know, keep her interested. Yeah. I don't want to be a drip. And like, well, he was cool for 10 minutes, but then he, right. I would like, I could see she goes to the group check. He was boring. And I'm like, oh, like I could, <laughs> oh that would kill me. The girls said to her girls, I was boring. Like, I oh guess. my God. I mean, but sometimes I think as we get older, I just, I, or me, I feel like, I don't have to fill it up with everything because number one, I don't have everything to fill it with. Oh, wait, if I if if a person went on a date with you, yeah, what would they need? Because you're funny, you're bringing the party, you're interesting. What does he need to do to get your interest to get to date number two? I like a man that's funny. I love right. a, I love a funny man who's got a great sense of humor. But I also like a man who's who can be confident, and that's one that he doesn't have to fill the space. That we can ha- we can be in the truck or the car, and it's silent, and then we talk. Like I'm good with that. When somebody's on all the time, that scares me. That you're on all the time, and you got to be funny all the time. I'm, because you can't sustain that. I would be intimidated to be funny with you because I'm like she's a professional comedian. Don't mm. don't don't. Don't, don't even try, to, try it. Right. Don't try to keep up with her. Right. Yeah. Like she because she does that. That I do have to say when I meet men who try to be funny all the time, I do get irritated because I'm like, I'm the professional. Like, <laughs> but I feel like they're competing or they have to show me that they're funny. And I'm right. like, you don't have to do that. Just be who you are. Right. And I can like that or not. But you don't have to especially be so super funny. Just have a great sense of humor. I like men who make me laugh, but just. Just having a great sense of humor. Beside making you laugh, yeah. what else does he need to do? Have a job. <laughs> well, of course. That's a big one. Well, when you say of course, everybody ain't on the of course tip. Really? To Ray. Yeah, everybody. You mean, you mean all the all the ladies are not on the of course no, tip? No, the, all the men are not on the of course oh, have a job. You, 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 get, you get guys who are underemployed you, asking you You sometimes get guys that are in the studio. You know, I'm Shut in the up. studio. <laughs> That's one of the jokes I do. <laughs> They're always in the studio. That means you ain't got no job. Right. But... Just, you know, what else can they do? To, I like a man who has a sense of purpose. I always ask, what's your purpose? Mm. What's your passion? Because I like that because that means you are willing to step out uh, beyond regular folks. Because so many people don't want to pursue what's really deep down inside. So what is your purpose? What is your passion? What is it that you love to do? Now, if you're of a certain age, I'm like, now, how does that sustain you? Sure. I'm, you know, because we can't be talking to you. Like my purpose is I want to, you know, be captain of a cruise ship. I'm getting my own cruise ship. Okay. You 51. <laughs> I don't know when this is supposed to happen. But no, you make a great point that, that 
as creative people, right? We have been blessed to to live in our purpose, right? Like you are yeah. living your like I am living my purpose, yes. and I do feel for people who are like, yeah, I work at you know like whatever Western Mutual right. or whatever. That's not your purpose. And then on the weekend, I do this or that or whatever, and I really love that. But mm-hmm. like most of my time. I'm spent, doing yeah. this thing that I just got to do to keep it going. And yeah. like, you're responsible, you're mature, you're adult, like hats off. But I'm like, yo, we get to play like in our thing, like all in our day. thing. I, I feel so incredibly blessed that I get to play yes. at my job is I get to play and I get to laugh, which sometimes is hard because people think that it's very easy and they think that you have fun all the time and they don't see the the work that you put into the play. Yeah. But when I meet people, I have friends who they are not living in their purpose and their passion and everything. And you get to a place where you have to take care of your family and, you know, responsibilities and fear. And I really try to encourage people, follow that thing that scares you because on the other side, it's so absolutely amazing. Yes. It's, it's just... The world opens up when you are doing something that you absolutely love. Wait, are you sad? Am I sad? A lot of comics deep down, you know what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. are are sad. And the funny and the, 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 the imperative to be funny all the time is partly to battle that back. I've always found that to be true with a lot of men. Okay. A lot of men are sad. And I think that also goes to levels of men are not allowed. They don't have the flexibility or the permission that women do. To be silly. To be silly, to mm. be emotional, to cry. Oh, forget about And I think course. that this goes also into, because more male comics you hear commit suicide mm. or have mental breakdowns. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it doesn't happen to women, but we tend to have so many things filling our lives and men, because I feel it has, there's a correlation with not being allowed to cry and not being allowed to let go and not being allowed to talk to other people. Women, we we're talkers. So we can go to our girlfriends and ignite a conversation that is so much color, but we've not allowed men to do that. And so you get into stand-up and it's still, you're fighting uh, depression. My husband, my, um, my husband one, was a stand-up comic who was brilliantly funny, but he battled depression. You know, my son is hysterically funny, but he battles that. I can see that in him. So I think it has a correlation with, we've just not allowed our men to be able to sit in it and say, I'm sad. I'm, you know, because you go toughen up. Oh my God. So you, so you have to take it on stage, but you're still battling. Yeah. You're still battling that thing internally. Women, we get to say, we get to call five girlfriends and go, I'm sad. And all 10 girls show up and go, let's talk about it. Cry it out. Whatever you got to do. And you can call the next week and go, I'm still sad. (laughs) See it in my, my wife. If she's, if something's bothering her, she'll talk to me about it. And then I'll hear her on the phone talking to Jill about it. And yep. then she's on the phone talking to Keisha about it. And then she's on the phone talking to Yes. Jackie and from you, it. she don't want you to give her solutions. She might not. She wants you to just listen. Yo, that is a gigantic thing that it took me a long time to learn. <laughs> that Because when a man says, 
I can't figure X out. Right. He 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 may or may not be looking for you to solve it, but he like what yo, I want yo, a resolution. If you, yo, here. you do this, if you called Paul, yes. he'll take care of that. Or whatever. You go left, you say, the women may want to just say, This yes. is how I feel. And she wants you to just listen. To don't just solve listen. the problem. Yeah, don't tell me to go confront Mary and say, No, I don't want to confront her. That's not what I wanted to do. I just want to tell you she's a bitch. I don't want to confront her. Right. Yeah, and what? so you have people listen to us, and we get to tell them how we feel, and we get to tell eight people how we feel. I saw. I don't a, think men a, get to do that. A man? No, we don't. A man. <laughs> uh, I saw a man on TikTok say a thing that he does in his in his marriage yeah. is when his wife starts talking, he's like, "Do you want me to listen, or do you want me to?" solve the problem. Oh, that's and, good. Right. And quite often she's like, I want you to listen. Want like, you to listen. great. I'm here. My wife will tell, be telling me something. And I'm like, she wants me to listen. She wants me. To, and I'm listening. I'm just listening. Yeah. And after a while, she'd be like, you're not saying anything. And I'm like, well, I was giving you my ear. Now you're saying, now I want you to respond and say like what you think I should do. So right. now that you've poured it out, I'll, well, this is what I think. But yeah. Yeah, as you say, quite often it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I really wanted to just Pour this out. I think that's a great one to go. Am I? Do you, I'm listening. Would you like my input on how to solve? No, no. I just need you to listen. That's a Mars I'm Venus so, thing because the man is taught do that. solve problems, solve problems, solve problems, and like no, 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 no. Just listen to her. Like what? And that's so. I'm t- my son is going through that with his girlfriend. Like he's like, I keep listening. <laughs> A mama, she just, she's, I, I keep telling her how to do it and she won't. And she just, I'm not there for her. And I, uh, he's like going through it with this girlfriend. And I go, Jeffrey, it doesn't get any better, honey. Uh, no, it doesn't. This is, this is it, baby. It what you're getting right now. He's like, I just need space right now. Cause she just, it's everything so over the top dramatic. This is what it is, babe. I remember hearing about one of my son's female classmates was complaining that her father and her brother were not listening to yeah. her. And the mom was like, get used to that. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. We, we, and I, I, I learned so much about men from my son. Mm. Like I, my son goes, you talk too much, mom. Like you told me this already. Like, Wah! why do you keep talking? And I go, wow. Cause I like to talk. And that, but but that's they, what, they have, I find because my boy's fifteen, Jeffrey's yeah, seventeen. Jeffrey's seventeen. So we're we're dealing with the same. We're yeah. in the same boat. I find their attention span for this sort of stuff is about forty five seconds. Yep. That I could communicate some message. To you maybe even thirty, and after that, you start to tune out. Start to tune out. That's exactly how it is with Jeffrey, especially at seventeen, because I feel like I got fifteen minutes to teach you about life. I have sheltered you so he's much because he's about to be out. Turn eighteen. And like, I got 15 minutes to pour all of life into you, all of life's lessons. And he's like, can we just go get something to eat? That's all I want, a donut. Like, and I'm I'm going, oh my gosh. Like we were riding the bus and Jeffrey is so unaware of people. He had his backpack on and it kept fought, hitting the lady in the, in the face. He's so completely unaware. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Jeffrey, you got to do this. And you got to, he's like, stop it. She didn't complain. We're fine. And I'm going, no, oh, but you know. My son would say the same thing. Oh, would he? Okay, then I don't feel so crazy. I don't feel so crazy either. Oh my God. He was like, she doesn't, she didn't She say, didn't complain. She didn't complain. She don't have to complain. It's not the right thing to do. I go, you are in her space, Jeffrey. But you know, once 
my son was on a train with his friend yeah. and they were playing a game on the phone together. Yeah. And I was sitting a little way away with my daughter and uh -huh. he must have, he must have accidentally stepped on his brother's shoe. Yeah. Right. And I missed the first time and there was one interaction that I didn't see at all. And then my daughter like taps me and points and he's now getting a little aggressive, the man. Yeah. Cause he's, because he's been like, you stepped on my shoe once or twice and I told you and you didn't do anything. Yeah. So, you know, of course I got to, my son is in left field. He's like, I, I, I've never seen Wait, you before yeah. in my life. I just talked to you like twice in the last three seconds. So now I got to stand up. And once I stood up and he's like, oh, there's a, a man, man in the right, picture. Right. Like, and I'm not fighting anybody, but yeah. you know, yeah. my kids, I might. But Absolutely. Like, he needs to, oh, then, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, let's move. Right. Whatever. But it, it, it was, it was dramatic for a you know, cause you do that man thing of like, y'all I'm, I'm here. Let's, let's take the tone down a little right. bit. Cause he's 14. Yeah. Right. He's like, all right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> I'm going to maintain my self-respect. I'm going to give it to you, bro. Oh my but, gosh. <laughs> See, then mine is different from I'm standing up. I'm a mom. I'm like, did you want, did, was that something you needed to say? Mm. You need to say it to me? Mm. I'm so protective mm. over my son. Oh, I'm mama just bear. like, I am a mama bear. Yeah. I, though I wish I could have, he, sometimes I feel like I've sheltered my son too much. I feel like instead of us living in the suburbs, we should have been living in Compton so we could have had a couple fights. Like, I, that's how I feel now. Yeah, I was telling no Kim fights. Whitley that, me and Kim Whitley, because we do our Two Funny Mamas podcast, and she said the same thing about Joshua. Like, they're so sheltered, yeah. and they're so used to, they go clear. They go pre, you you saw us at the airport. Yeah. We were in the pre-check clear line. Like, they're not used to waiting. They're not used, and I was, every time I look at Jeffrey, I'm like, yeah, we should have moved to Compton but for like two But he knows years. you're a star, right? He yeah, like he knows that people. Because you get recognized all the time. Because I get recognized. So he knows. He knows, but he's used to living. Like he, it's always different when he goes to be with his father. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he doesn't mean it. I remember his dad calling. He's like, you know, Jeffrey's entitled and he's this and he's that. And I'm like, he's not entitled, but he's never, he's always grown up with in a house that had a pool mm. and a house that had at least three bathrooms. Mm. So when he goes to your girlfriend's house, with all of her kids, he goes, where's the pool? Or he goes, you only have two bathrooms? Where's your bathroom, son? Your, her son, where's your bathroom, cousin? Where's, like, he's not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but that's his life. We, we were at the airport today. I was so embarrassed. He's like, we're in the clear line yeah. and the pre-check. Yeah. So it might have been like, you know, you walk right up to the, you go right through. Or if you're like on a Delta One, they take you right through. Yeah, yeah. And um, he goes, why is the line so long? <laughs> it was one person in front of us. Why is the line so long? I could have popped. If he wasn't taller than me and I didn't have inflammation in that first finger, I'd have popped him right in his damn mouth. Wait, did you hit him when he was little? Maybe one and a half times. That's probably another reason why I talked to my son. And you got hit. Oh, 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 we got tore up. Oh, my gosh. Did I get hit? <laughs> we got tore oh up. Oh, my gosh. Wait, on your butt or on your face? M my butt, but my father used to do my face, which is why I don't like. Your father hit I don't like getting face? popped in the mouth. Wow. My and father I, hit me in my butt a lot. I, no, I, oh, butt was all the time. But, oh, yeah, wow. I used my mom and my dad used to pop me in my mouth. Because if I started talking, they'd be like, stop talking. And, and I had a mouth. And I keep that. They pop me in my mouth. And now I really do. Like, somebody, uh, I learned later, somebody said the hand that gives love should not be the hand right. that somebody white show talk right. that <laughs> the hand that gives love should not be the hand that Pop, don't right. like those of discipline. And when you pop somebody in the mouth, it like affects their self esteem. Yes. So unfortunately, but my family, 
They came from the South. That's what they did. I mean, that's what they knew. That's what when they we knew. Were up. They, you got popped in the mouth, but it really, really affected me. So I don't. Like Jeffrey probably got a whooping one and a half times right. in his entire life. Like sometimes he'll go, "Ma, come here, give me a whooping." Yeah, he joke, give me a whooping. Like he will lay on my lap and go, "Give, give me a whooping." And he will crack that's up, just crack up. What's but the half? Like yeah, like I I started <laughs> I started to whoop him, and then I was just like, "Let me just talk to him." What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So take me back because yes. at the beginning. I was homeless. So how was that? It was, how long was that? It wasn't very long. It was like little. I, I wish I could do the vanilla ice thing, but, it, you know, it wasn't that daggone long. It was homeless to me was I didn't have a place to stay. I got evicted so many times. So you're in and so car. I had my stuff in like, no, my car was repossessed. I had taken the bus. So I had a lot of my stuff in pillowcases and I would just be calling different people. You know, you had a little pager. You had to go to the pay phone. Couch and surfing. I, yeah, I was couch surfing. So I just, so I never slept on the streets. I don't want people to think, oh, Sherry, just, she just was on the streets. No, I just was on a different couch until a girlfriend got tired of me. It was like, you got to get out, okay? If you ain't going to be helping me with no bills, you got to get your ass out. Then I have to go to another couch or I had to ask some guy if I could stay with them, you know? So that was my period. That was maybe, oh, geez, six months until okay. I got another apartment did and got motivate? evicted from that. <laughs> I got that, evicted a lot. I got that, my car repossessed a lot. Did that motivate you? Yes. No, going to jail was the thing that motivated me. Mm. The, the, the getting evicted, because I always knew I could find so I could get another apartment. Now, it wasn't all that. You got to make four times the rent. You got to have a credit score. You just go change the spelling in your name a little bit. So I was like, Shirley Shaparo. <laughs> you change Shaparo. it up a little bit. You change, you know, if they needed a little couple, you make the little papers on the Xerox machine. You, you make your own, you know, pay stubs. You can get into sure. an apartment. But um, 
That didn't so much bother me because I just was I was so used to that. My but car getting repossessed. Tell me about eight days. The eight days in jail in was jail. the thing that, that changed me. You had a couple parking tickets. No, they're moving violations. So okay. you don't you don't go to jail for parking tickets. Okay. You if you have a moving violation. So because I was a Jehovah's Witness, we thought that Armageddon was going to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Armageddon, so I never paid any of my bills because I was like, well, if Armageddon going to come, why am I paying this? It don't matter. I, why am I paying my registration? Why am I paying the rent? Because Armageddon about to come in about five minutes. Right. So th- we don't need to. So I can use this money to buy some clothes. Right. Um, <laughs> I was very irresponsible financially and Armageddon did not come, but my $10,000 worth of bench warrants, because when you get a moving violation, they give you a ticket and you got to appear in court. Yeah. And when you don't appear in court, it becomes a bench warrant yeah. for your arrest. And I had $10,000 worth of bench warrants. Oof. And so I was on my way to the comedy store to perform when they pulled me over because my registration was two years expired. That's why I kept getting um, the moving violations. Yeah. So I, I already knew that when I saw the behind me, I pulled into the mall because I was like, they can't, they won't tow my car. If I, so I pulled into the mall, threw my keys up underneath my seat because I don't want my car towed. And I was like, I'll call my girlfriend later if I got to go to jail. Well, this was the day he was like, you got all these warrants, you going to jail. And that was the beginning of it, of the eight days being in jail. The eight days was not a sentence. That's just like yeah, it was just because, waiting to see the judge. Yeah, it was like I went in on a Thursday and yeah. then they took me to the Rampart Division. I think they even made a movie about the Rampart Division. Yeah, yeah. It was like one of the worst yeah. police stations ever. They took me to Rampart and then it then it was the Friday. It was the Martin Luther King weekend. So for the whole weekend and then Rampart, thank God, was overcrowded. So they took me to Van Nuys. Oh. And I... Even to this day, because I didn't know that Rampart was one of the worst. Like they had so many like corruption issues and stuff that I should not have been there. And um, so they took me to Van Nuys. So it was like the whole weekend sitting there. And then Martin Luther King Monday, we it was a holiday. So that's four days right there that you right there. Then they got to process you. That's when I went to Civil Brand, which is now oh. closed. I think Lisa Ray did a movie about Civil oh. Brand. <laughs> so I had to be processed. And then um, I had to go to each each um, court that I had the bench warrant in. Yeah. And so oh. the, the trauma was like, you know, the black and white bus that goes past you on the freeway. Yeah. That you don't want to look in. You just keep driving. You don't look in. Like they would put the, they had the guys in the back and then they caged them up. And then the girls they put in the front and they chained the girls up too, oh. but two each. So it was, they chained you up. And I was the only girl that didn't have a partner. So they put me all the way at the back right before the cages started with the men. So they're and, talking to you. Oh my God. Whispering the most horrible things. Like, like I'm going to cut you up. Bitch, I'm gonna eat your legs. I'm gonna cut your, I'm cut your clit open, open up, and I'm gonna. I can't even. Oh my god! Why? And I'm there by my, I'm chained up, and all I can think about is if this bus gets into an accident or somebody gets through that cage. Oh my god! Like it was so, and then it was also because that was that was like maybe my sixth day there, mm. and the, not being seen, like nobody talking to me or seeing me or treating me like. That's why I felt bad for people who are in jail because you're just a number. Mm. They didn't see that I had a really great smile or mm. I had a sense of humor. They talked to me mean. 
it was just, you know, it, 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 I was joking with some girls and the pr- guards made me stand in the in the corner and they didn't let me eat. And I was so hungry. They mm. didn't let me eat. And then they gave me some moldy bologna. And it was like mm. nobody sees me. Nobody is paying attention to me. And so it was quite lonely. But being in that daggone bus, and then that's why when I look, and I make this funny on stage, I looked out the side of the windows. We we're on the 405, and there are people driving. And so I just was like, please, somebody just look up at me so I can show you with my eyes that I'm a really nice person. I'm a legal secretary in Beverly Hills. Like I'm going to communicate. You know what that looks like when you, you're staring at somebody like that? It looks like you're crazy because you're trying to communicate all of this, and nobody would turn and even honk a horn at me. And I'm all chained up, so my arms are at my side, and this person, these men are in the back of me saying the nastiest stuff to me, and I just cried. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, even being in court and then being humiliated, the people, the the sheriffs would bring you up. There's a back elevator that you can bring the prisoners or the the wards of the court up. But they took me in the front with all of the people who were dressed in their suits, you know, and they had me in this jail dress, this muumu. I didn't have no underwear because the the big Bertha, whatever her name was, stole them. So I don't have no underwear on. I got this big old muumu thing. My hair is in cornrows because the girl, a little bit, her name was cornrow my hair because uh, the one of the women kept playing in it. And she was like, this is about to be some troubles. I'm going to cornrow your hair because my hair was long. So it was like they brought me up, chained up with some house shoes on and this movement with everybody in suits and nobody would look at me. And it was so humiliating. And so by the time I got to the court, <laughs> that was my last uh, day for, you know, going to the different courthouses. And the judge goes, Miss Shepard, what are you here for? And I go, I'm a really nice person. I work in Beverly Hills. And I was only, and I thought Armageddon was going to come or else I would have paid all my tickets. And I w- I'm not supposed to be here, your honor. And I took off and I didn't know how I'm going to pay my rent. Like, I, and he was like, okay, time served. <laughs> that changed my life. That I'm going. I will be focused on focused on what I was going to do but with you really my life. Thought the Armageddon was coming. I did. I thought it was coming. Do, did you say that was wrong, or it's like, well, I called my best friend. I was like, what happened? It, it may still be coming, but I got to stay up. Yeah, but I thought, yeah, I thought this was coming in, like in 1995. What <laughs> what happened? So it, it just it didn't uh, it didn't come. But I needed that that life lesson of being focused because so many people in jail, I did make them laugh. I I made the women laugh in jail. And one girl, Shay, she kept saying to everybody, leave Sherry alone because we're going to be here for the rest of our fucking lives. Sherry going to be somebody. And that even spoke to my spirit. People can, she just, it spoke life into my spirit, but I would make them laugh and they would always go, you're going to do it. And so it made me focus on my career to do it for those women that I met in there, because so many of those women in there, um, unfortunately, are young and they were prostitutes, but their boyfriends were not in there. They had children that their parents were taking care of. And it was really, that was sad to be in there with women who didn't know their worth. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to talk to them because it was everything was about when they got out, they were going to get back with their boyfriend and go back to being a prostitute and, you know, trying to change hearts in there. Mm-hmm. But I did make them laugh. And so that made me really focus on my career and it made me pay my bills. I'm not late on any bill. I'm not, no, I, no repossessions, no amazing. nothing. It, 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 it sounds like 
an important pivotal experience yeah. in that somebody else saw the light and the talent in you. That I didn't see myself. That you hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And that helped. Absolutely. That self-confidence of like, if she can see it, then there must be something, right? Then there must be something. Yeah, and I hope wow. that, I don't know if those women remember me at all, but I hope I'm that sure the ones. They do. Well, there were a couple that I just, I was kind of close to because they kept, they protected me. Yeah. And I and and I know that those like three core women, Lil Bit, Shay, and there was another girl. I know that when they watch me, they know that's me, that that's Sherry. That's my girl. And they're probably saying I was in jail with her. And they're going, no, you weren't. 100%. Sherry Shepard wouldn't be in jail. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And they're going, no, we were in jail together. And, and 99 times that story is not true. <laughs> but for them, no, no, really, I but was really, locked up with her. I was in jail with her. And she was her. funny as fuck. Absolutely. <laughs> and she was hysterical. Oh. Uh, two more things yes. that I always ask everybody. What does being black mean to you and where does it show up in the work? Because you stand on the shoulders of an incredible um, uh, tradition of black comedians, the comedians, comedians, all that. Right. So, like, what does that mean to you? What does black being black mean to me? I love being a black woman. Mm. I, I it's just it's. I used to hate it when I was little. It's, I completely really? related to not what Whoopi Goldberg when she did a one woman show and she put Smokey the towel Fontaine. on her head. Yes, Why was that the I character? Straight? And and that was like I wanted the the Cindy the Brady hair. hair. I wanted the blonde hair on my dolls. I didn't want a black doll. I want a white baby doll. They had the pretty hair. They had the duh. and I just felt like uh, the struggles that I went through. The white girls never went through that that I saw on TV. What we're going through. <laughs> You know, drug addiction in my family, you know, violence and alcoholism, you know, and but now growing up and having a core group of black women be by my side, I love it so much. I can't picture being anything but a black woman. And from black women, I've gotten my strength. And Mm -hmm. I found that I had my strength when I went through two very painful, very public divorces Mm -hmm. of black women coming, going, get up. I got you. And so it is like a feeling. I can't imagine being anything else, but a black woman. Mm. And I love black, my black men. I love the black men in my family. I love my son. I think I'm probably too hard on him. He's like, can you stop moving your neck? And I go, (laughs) it's in my DNA, Jeffrey. Like you get a black woman. That's what she going to do. She moves her neck. When she's passionate, you know, and um, so just being black to me means means having an inner strength, an inner strength. And being black means being able to laugh at things that would break people. Mm. Because, like I said, I come from a family of it's been a lot and we laugh. We laugh to get through it. And black people, I feel like, are able to find that. You know, I think sometimes people look at us and go, how y'all laughing at that? Why you? Because we we find that thing that can be a salve to our pain. Mm. And so that's what I my my sense of humor. I feel like when I think about my ancestors Mm. coming over here were my ancestors Mm. because it's a lot of people that didn't make it. But mine did. Was humor the thing that got my ancestors through? 
Was laughter the thing that got my ancestors through and was carried down to me? And then that makes me proud. I suppose I should do a 23 and me at some point, but I'm afraid I'm going to get some relatives and need some money. So I'm just going to hold off on that. But I feel like it kind of makes me proud to go, maybe my ancestors came through this with a lot of smiles, mm. with a lot of laughter. That's really beautiful. You know? Part of the thing you said there related back to what we were talking about with men and women, that mm-hmm. when you were at your low point, the sister cavalry showed up oh. to lift you up. And I've heard other women talk about like when I was at my lowest, women came and lifted me up. And, you know, for men, it don't roll like that. Like when no. you are down, you tr- like, you know, you're not going to have like three, four guys coming like you be like, you know, I, I remember my ex-husband when we talked and, and kind of like came to terms with being divorced. And he said, uh, it was infidelity. And he said, Sherry, I was in so much, I was in a place where I could hear what he said. He said, I was in so much pain because mm-hmm. we were pregnant and had lost Jeffrey's sister. Mm-hmm. I had tw- It was twins. Mm-hmm. And we had lost his sister and thought we were going to lose Jeffrey. And he mm-hmm. said, nobody, everybody rallied around you. And they wanted to know how you were doing and what's going on. And, and that's important. You're pregnant. And pregnant. And they, But a man goes through, you know, now you're realizing men, you have a, you may not be carrying that baby, but you're no less close oh, yeah. to that being that you helped create. Yeah. And he said, everybody rallied around you and was there and they want to pray with you. And it was all about you. you. And he said, nobody, nobody rallied around me. Yeah. And I had nobody to, to talk to about the pain that I was going through of losing my little girl and my son. And in him being coming out, because they told us Jeffrey would have cerebral palsy and be mentally mm. challenged, and he's on the spectrum. And he's like, I didn't have anybody to talk to because all the men were like, man up. Mm-hmm. And he said, mm-hmm. so I found comfort in the arms of someone who made me feel and who listened to me. So a lot of us women go, while the mistresses that be knowing everything about us, we don't know everything about them because they can talk to them. Yeah. And they're not able to talk to us. See, that's, I mean, the way he explained it. Yeah. Steep. Steep. You know, it, Very it, deep. It, 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 that even happens too when everything works out, right? Mm-hmm. With, with the pregnancy, right? Because um, mom and baby are super close. Yes. As they should be. Yeah. Right? That first six, nine months, they, I mean, first 10 years, they are mm-hmm. Velcroed. But that first, and she's, the baby has become the sun in her world. Right. You, right. Right. And you were the you were the, the sun in the, her world. You are not. Right. Yeah. And, and the baby's just sees mom and mom just sees the baby. And it does take a little maturity on the man to be like, I am fully third position in this family now. And it's a hard one. It's hard. But I think that women, we also have to realize men still need. The, they still need attention. They still need sex. Yes. Y'all are a, a, a creatures that it, it doesn't matter. If you win, you need sex. If you lose hard, you need sex. You get a promotion, you need sex. You get fired, you need sex. That means something different to us, especially once we have a baby. We tend to put sex on the back burner yeah. because we have this this little human that needs everything. And so sometimes we forget about that man that's right there who still needs because he hasn't been allowed to really just like express, 
I need you. And so mm-hmm. physical intimacy is one way which he can say, I need you. Yeah. It may sound like I need to slap that ass, but it's like, <laughs> I need you. And so I think that, you know, we can't forget about a man. But his purpose, like deep down, some of his purpose is to have a baby, right? Yeah. And that he's had a baby doesn't like quench it. Right. It doesn't end the desire to have it. Right. Like you come and start touching him on his forearm and he gets excited. Yes. Right. Yes. You have started to quench your vision. Yeah. My life was that my, you know, and obviously women dream of doing many things with their lives. Right. But having a child for most women is what they want. Right. You get one, you get two, like, this is what I dreamt of. Right. Right. And so I have ticked this box and now I have to raise up these, these, these flowers. Mm -hmm. Right. The man is still like, well, I'm still, <laughs> still out here trying to shoot more. Like, what's I good? still want to conquer. Right? You, her, what, like, what else is out here for me? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. That's something that a man goes through. It's a choice every day. But I think that sometimes we have to really pay attention to our men. We say, Because a lot of times we go, they're okay. They <sighs> present Strong and they're fine because they're told to. Because they're told to, and sometimes even, they're not. Even women will mock you for showing feelings. Sometimes I was one of those ones, and when I feel really, I was one of those women who was like, "I don't want to see no man crying." You get to cry three times. You get to cry when your mama died. You get to cry if you like it was something you was really going for, and you get to cry if I slapped the shit out of you. Because <laughs> I mean, you get three cry. That's it. Now, I feel very, very differently raising a son. I feel very differently when Jeffrey comes to me and goes, mom, just listen to me. Can you just listen? And I go, oh. But Jeffrey crying, being emotional, being emotionally aware is different than if you were to have, let's say, another boyfriend. Right. But the boyfriend starts out as a little boy. And I think that first woman. But you don't want him crying, do you? If you, if you, for for you to accept a man in your life, if you had another, like, like, and he's like, more would that well you can't be crying all like I can't be crying and you crying like it, that's just not gonna work we both over there crying we both scared because somebody I didn't we didn't heard the lock turn in the door and no, we no, upset no. and no, you no, no. And you crying and we both can't do the same thing so I'm not saying I you know you can't be around me crying all the time I don't even want a girlfriend around me crying all the time because I'm be like look bitch I done been here for you a whole bunch of times it's stop all that crying it's too much it's too much it's team too much that's what my voice gonna sound like with my girlfriend and it's and with the guy. So, but I think I'm more open to if you you're, you want to show your feelings, but you see you got to know when to do it. Now that's the break glass in case of fire. The, the crying. The crying. Yeah. yeah, you can't be coming to me every week because somebody made you cry. Because at some point I'm gonna be I, like, know, this is life. It, 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 but the, with everything that's going on today, if you cry, I understand. Yeah. It's no, just, it's it's just hard. harsh out here today. It's, it's 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 very hard. I didn't cry when my dad died. See, now I would go. And that was massive for me. I would be like, Teray, just. I was sad. I, w- I was in it. I was feeling it, but I never cried, even at the funeral. Because as an American man, it's right. deeply ingrained. Not to. Don't cry. And then now you try to, you can't bring it up because it's no. just so, it's so deeply ingrained that you don't. Yeah. I know Jeffrey said to me, he saw his grandmother. She's uh, in her 70s. Uh, for his birthday, I sent him back to see his grandmother with his siblings and his dad. He hadn't seen her in probably 
eight years. And he said, Mom, every time I hugged Grandma, she cried. he said, I felt like crying. Oh. He said, why did I feel like I wanted to cry every time I hugged her? And I said, that's pretty deep. And I said, did you? He said, no, I didn't. I thought about it. And I said, it was okay if you went back. And it's okay if you cry, Jeffrey. Because mm-hmm. you miss her. Those are tears of joy. So. Somebody said to me the other day, because my kids are 15 and 14, my neighbor. So what do you think about when they move out? She don't have kids. What do you think about when they move out? Right? We got years to uh-huh. go. But still, like, we can see the end. Right? The end is closer than the beginning. Oh, my God. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You will be boohooing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, re- I really hadn't right. You're right on it. You're about to be empty nest. Oh, right? I get emotional every single time. How's that? I get emotional when I look at my son because I picture him going, Mommy, you're so pretty. Okay, I'm going to be the news weatherman and you're going to be. I, I got memories for days. It goes by so fast. And I feel like my son said to me, when I get 18, I'm going to get high. I'm drinking some Jack Daniels. I'm going to go see strippers, mama. And I was just like, okay, all right, okay. But he's like, and I'm moving out. And I was like, okay, well, you could go see the strippers, but come on back home. Um, <laughs> oh, so you're not kicking him out when he turns 18. But he's going to school, so he's no, not going to be here. I, I think it's harder for kids now to be out on their own. Well, yeah, it's, economically. It's, it's yeah. a lot harder. I, I can yeah. understand why they need to stay home for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, but... I, but the thought of him like moving on when he told me I couldn't kiss him anymore. He says, these lips are reserved for Julia. That took me aback because I was like, I always kiss you. Not even in the house? Not even in the house. Every once in a while, he'll say, bring it in and I'll go hug him. And he'll go, okay, that's enough. Just a hug. Just a hug. No kiss. No kiss. And every once in a while, he will let me. And, I, and it, I cry for the baby that he used to be. Yeah. But I go, Sherry, he's a young man. Now it's time to let him fly. It's time to. His voice is deeper. than His voice is deeper. He's taller than you. He wrote a note on his door and said to management, "Um, knock and wait for me to answer. Thank you. (laughs) I can't even go in his room no more. You guys should walk in his room. But like that, uh, don't walk in your son's room at 17 and you to knock on the door. Well, it's some stuff you're going to be traumatized seeing. So I I can't walk in his room. So I mourn that. Heart, but I go and, and I cry also because he's a young black man yeah. and now life, he's got to now go through life. The very thing that I sheltered him from is now what he has to deal with. Yeah. I can't jump in front of people and go, who are you talking to? You want to say something? Say it to my face. Whatever you was going to say, say it because that's what I would do. Say it to my face. Yeah, that's what I thought. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> He's got to go to work, and, and and his boss might scream at him. He can't call me, and I put him on the phone. What you want to say? I can't do that anymore. That, oh, my gosh. What is your superpower? What is the thing you do better than other people that's led to all your success? I don't know if I do anything better than anybody. I just know how to harness what I do, and I think that— when I go, what is my mission? It's love and it's making you feel better than when you came. That mm-hmm. is what John and I, John Murray, um, my best friend who is executive producer of The Sherry Show, every, when we pray for the audience who's in the studio and the audience who's watching, our prayer is always, we want them to feel better than when they came. Mm-hmm. And I know when I first started my show, I was like in a panic, had a mild anxiety attack because I was like, how am I going to be different? What, what, what do I do that's different? And it's, I want to make you feel better than when you came. 
And, and I know that I have been given that gift to make people laugh, to be silly. When people say, girl, that girl's so dumb, damn silly. She's so, cheer, you a whole hot mess. That's the best compliment you could give me. You just a whole mess if it's going to make you feel better. And that's my superpower. That's beautiful. Yeah. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> You're the best. See, that's another thing. You can't be crying with me all the time and go, I can talk to you all day. It's yeah. stuff you got to do. Yeah. You shovel that dog poop out from in front of the house. <laughs> it's a dead squirrel right in the back. Do you get that? And can you kill that spider? And then we can talk. <laughs> I would kill any spider for you, Sherry. Just call me. Oh, gosh, Teray. I'll come. I'll get in an Uber. Three in the morning and come kill a spider oh, for gosh. you. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. You're the best. Did you tell people to come see me in Kim Whitley? It's 519, and that's New Brunswick, New Jersey. 520 is Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. And 521 is Wilmington, Delaware. But all that is on SherryShowTV.com. Thanks so much to Sherry for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. Shut us down.